Palm Sunday. Give it up for Palm Sunday. Woohoo! Yeah, something else. What is Palm Sunday? What is Palm Sunday? Let me give you just a quick history on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus rolled into Jerusalem. And this was the day, it was really special this day because this was the day that everyone who's been following Christ for the past three years, the thousands of people that have been like kind of on his tail for the past three years, hearing him talk about what he wants to do in establishing his kingdom, they finally thought, this is it. He is finally going to go into Jerusalem, and he's going to set himself as king, and they're going to take over the Roman Empire and just kind of kick them all out. And so they were really excited, and they were welcoming him in as king, right? And they were, they were coming at this picture, and it's really sad, actually, and what we're going to talk about today is that they were coming at this picture with their personal agenda because they have been oppressed for so many years they have been occupied by one nation after another nation after another nation and they've just been wanting so desperately to be free and so when this man christ comes into the scene they're thinking yes finally he's going to give us what we wanted so they were wanting their agenda to be fulfilled rather than actually wondering and asking what was christ's agenda because as christ walked into and as he rolled into jerusalem right his heart broke his heart broke for this city because he knew he knew that today they welcome him as a king but in one week they're going to condemn him as as a I lost the word. <laughs> they're going con- to condemn him, right? They're going to condemn him. They're going to condemn him, right? Um, they're going to condemn him in one week. And they're going to kill him in one week. So he knew, he knew that these people who are out here singing and praising, they, they were coming at it from their own personal agenda. And they weren't asking. They weren't wondering or trying to figure out what was Christ's or God's agenda. And this is the, this is the, the big issue I think we have as just God's people, or just people in general, right? Uh, this coming Sunday, next Sunday is Easter Sunday, and it's a day where we begin to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is a, is a monumental, history-shattering event, okay? Something supernatural has happened on this earth, a man coming back from the dead, right? Just as he said he was. And instead of, for us, 2,000 years later, instead of our lives kind of transforming and changing in regards to such event, what we find ourselves is just sitting around kind of like, meh, through it. We're just meandering through it. Our lives are just kind of just flowing, and nothing's really changing. A historical supernatural event that literally shattered history, that actually wrote history, that, that moved people so deeply that they began to transform the very essence of history. For us, 2,000 years later, looking back, like me, we don't see it as, as effective. We don't see it as life-changing. We don't see it as transformative. Now, why is that? Why is that that when a man comes back from the dead, when God comes back from the dead, we don't have such a change? And there's two main reasons, right? And we're doing a case study through two people to kind of help us develop these reasons. Last week, we, we talked about Caiaphas, right, who, Joseph Caiaphas, who head, uh, who's the head priest of Israel at that time. His main thing was he resisted. 
The reason why it didn't transform his life because he, he wanted to resist God rather than surrender because it, it cost him too much to give up the power, the influence of the temple. Right? It cost him too much to let all that go. And so he said, I'd rather Christ die than for me to give that up. So he resisted Christ. And today I want to share with you guys one of the other reasons why this season comes along and our lives aren't as transformed. Our lives aren't as convicted. We don't see ourselves going out there living a life that, is, that, is, that, that shows that we've been born again. Because why? Because we have our own personal agenda. We're not matching up with God's agenda. We have our agenda, and we're telling God, God, would you match? Would you, would you make my agenda become a reality? Rather than saying to God, God, would you tell me what to do with this in my hand? God, here's my family. This is how I want my family to be. Instead of surrendering our family to God, we tell God, God, would you come in and bless this and, do, and work this family the way I want it, the way I think it's meant to be? This is my life. This is my job. This is my work. God, instead of asking God, how can I surrender this job to you? What can you use it for? We come and we bargain with God. Say, God, if you would bless this work, if you would kind of orchestrate everything the way I want it to be, right, then I will worship you. We have a different agenda when it comes to God. God is our means to get to our end. He is not our end itself. The reason why the resurrection has not affected a lot of us has not transformed us, has not broken us or not moved us into transformation is because Christ is not our agenda. Our agenda is something else. Fill in the blank. And you know this because we play the bargaining game. How many of you guys bargain with God? How many of you guys have ever bargained with God? Raise your hand, right? Oh, man, I hope you guys, if y'all's not raising your hand, you liars, right? Man, you know, as kids, we bargain with God. I mean, we bargain with God even as small kids. We say stuff like this. I mean, I remember I was saying stuff like, God, if I can just sneak back into my house without my mom waking up and whooping my butt, I will do whatever you want. Lord, I will just, please, I pray that she will not be up. And if she's not up, I can get in and I can, I'll do whatever you want, right? Or that God, if, if, I, if, if you can get so-and-so to like me, right, I will serve you for a lifetime. I will spend this summer for your cause wherever you want me to go. We bargain with God, right? As we get older, we, 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 we bargain with God in a similar way. We, we try to leverage his power to get what we want. God, if you would give me this job that I've been, I've been, I've been veeing for forever, if you would just give me this job, I will, I, will, I, will, I will obey you, I will serve you, I will give to you. If you will, then I will. But you first, right? If you will, then I will. And so we ask, so you wonder why when it comes to this day or this season when we are celebrating the resurrection of God, and yet our hearts are not transformed because deep down inside, Christ is not our agenda. Something else is. And we actually want to use Christ to get that agenda to become a fruition. Fill in the blank. Marriage, family, job, love, relationship, money. Jesus is the means to an end. He's not the end itself, Right? And today, you know, but I want, I want, before, the end, before I kind of guilt you guys all into that, because I know you guys are like, man, don't, why you, why you guys say it like that, right? Before, I, before I, you guys feel that way, can I tell you guys something? Can I just be real with you guys? All relationship with Christ begins this way. 
You guys follow? That's okay. If you're in this place, it's not, it's not totally bad, but if you stay in this place, you're in trouble, okay? <laughs> the, the reality is all relationship with God begins like this. Even, even, even the 12 apostles who started this relationship with God, they were walking around thinking, like, Jesus, if you, man, if we give our lives, if we basically give up our jobs and we follow you for the next three years, right, what's in it for us? Peter even said this. He said, we, Jesus, we left everything for you. What then will there be for us? John and um, his brother were saying, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, can you uh, put me and my brother on your right and left side? We want to have the authority. We want to have that same power with you. They, they engaged Jesus, not because they want him. They engaged him because why? They wanted something else from him. The reason why our lives aren't as transformed is because we have our own agenda. Christ is not our agenda. Right? Something else is in that place. And the worst of all of these disciples the one that I want to make sure that I want to share with you guys about the character who specifically tried to leverage Jesus, right? And when Jesus wouldn't do what he wanted, basically bailed on Jesus. You know, all the 12 disciples came back. The only one that didn't came, come back was who? Judas, right? There's a little bit of Judas in all of us where we all try to leverage, Judas, uh, try to leverage Jesus in some form or fashion. And when Jesus doesn't kind of pull through for us, we bail on him. We, we neglect him. We push him away. We, we, we force ourselves to um, walk away from Christ because he is not meeting our agenda. And this character was a pretender. He was a traitor, right? And instead of surrendering his relationship to Jesus, what he ended up doing, right, was he used Jesus as a tool for his personal gain. He used Jesus as a tool for his personal gain. And so here it says, this is what I want to share with you guys, okay? I want to use Judas as an example of this issue. That in this season, the reason why we're not surrendering is mostly because we have an ulterior agenda that we want God to answer. Instead of actually looking to Christ and having him being the ends, we use God, we use him to be the means to our end, whatever it may be. So let me break it down for you guys. Let me tell you who Judas is. Right? Judas is one of, the 12, uh, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Okay, And Judas, Judas, right? what was special about Judas was this. He was just like all the other apostles. The way he saw his people, the way he saw his nation, the way he saw himself was this. He knew that God was going to deliver Israel. Right? He knew that God was, was going to establish Israel once again as a nation of power, Right? As a nation of, of, of wealth and strength. He knew that. He believed in that. He saw that in the word of God. And he would do anything, right? He would do anything to see someone on the throne of Israel being able to rout out Rome. He, was, he, was, he, 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 he knew that the, there was a Messiah coming. He knew there was a Savior coming, right? And Jesus, as he saw Jesus, was this guy. It seemed like he had all the characteristic of someone who can take this mantle, because he knew, it wasn't because he was like all like, you know, happy about it. Because he knew that if he was to hang around Jesus, and if Jesus took his throne, everyone who followed after him would be able to follow along too. He would be able to get and rise in the ranks as well. So Judas was following after Christ because he wanted to get something from Christ. 
Christ. You guys follow me? Right? He wasn't following after Christ because he wanted to restore his people. He wanted to restore God's name. He wanted to give God glory and honor. He didn't follow Christ for those reasons. He followed Christ because he said he saw in this guy something to be used. He saw in this guy something that he can kind of manipulate and leverage to get something out of it. And what I want to share with you guys today, when you come to God with that mindset, the ultimate end, the ultimate end for a mindset like that is destruction, right? Just like last week, we say resistance ends up being futility anyways. The ultimate end for a life that's constantly bargaining with God is ultimate destruction because you will live with the responsibility and you will live with the outcome of your bargaining, right? So this was, this was Judas's um, mindset. Three years he followed after Christ. Three years he saw Jesus uh, heal the blind, clean the lepers, put the layman, made, made the layman walk. For three years he saw Jesus calm the storms. He saw Jesus perform miraculous signs after miraculous signs. Three years he saw to himself, this guy must be the guy. He has every quality of a Messiah except for a few, which kind of annoyed him. Okay? One of the qualities that he saw that he didn't like was that Jesus didn't really hate Roman people. He, he didn't hate the Romans. He actually was kind of pretty chummy with them. There was one incident when Jesus healed a centurion slave. And you can imagine Judas thinking to himself, hey, man, look, if we're going to rout them out, you can't be buddies with them. Right? It's bad enough that you got Matthew, the tax collector who works for them, to be part of our crew. You can't be chummy with these guys. You can't be giving them favor and helping them out. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to be pushing them away. So Jesus was constantly, Jesus did not hate the Romans, which bugged Judas a lot. And on top of that, Jesus constantly ostracized the Jewish leaders. He was constantly mad at Jewish leaders. And Judas was thinking, look, if you want power, if you want to, like, rally everyone together and, like, fight off Romans, you got to have the Jewish leaders with you. You can't have them if you're constantly telling the leaders that they're snakes, that they're vipers, and that they're going to hell. That's not helping. You're not helping the situation. Your plan is flawed, Jesus, right? So Judas, the whole time he's thinking, I want you to rise so that I can rise. But the problem is you're not doing what I want you to do. Therefore, I'm not going to get what I want out of it either. And this was a big issue for Judas. And on top of that, the third thing that really pushed him over the, uh, the, um, the, 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 the brink was Judas, I mean, Jesus was very, very passive. It's like you would think that, you know, if you're going to raise a campaign, you should raise more money, right? And every time money came in, Jesus kind of just gave it away. He used it to help the poor. He used it to help people around him. He was very passive in his way of building this army. And Judas was like, this guy is not getting it. Why is he so slow on the draw? Why, what is his plan? And it just constantly bugged him because he was thinking, is it possible, right, that I'm not going to be able to get what I want, which is power. And so this was going on for three years. Finally, an event happened. This, was, this tension was building for three years. Finally, Jesus, something happened with Jesus that it basically, it threw Judas over the, uh, uh, it, it made Jesus like so pissed off. He's like, you know what? That's it. I'm done, right? If Judas, if Jesus, you're not going to give me what I want, I'm going to use you to get what I want anyways, okay? There was an event that happened that basically put uh, Judas in a place where he said, you know, I can't handle this anymore, okay? 
You're way too passive, and I'm going to basically use you to get what I want. And this ha- the situation happened in Bethany, okay? Uh, go to Matthew chapter 26 is where we're going to start. Matthew 26, verses 6. And so what we see here is this picture, right? We all want Jesus because we want some sort of agenda from him. We want to him to fulfill our personal agenda. We want to bargain with God to get something. Some of you guys are here for the same reason. You show up to church. You're thinking, if I, if I got the right formula for church, three weeks in, one week off, have dinner with my mom, you know, cross all the T's, dot all the I's, then God will surely bless me. God will surely give me something in return. Right? God will surely do well for me. My business will prosper. My marriage will prosper. My life will prosper. My love life will prosper. If I would just do what he kind of wants, then he would bless me with something in return. We're not looking towards what Christ wants. We're looking towards our agenda. And so in chapter 26, verse 6, we see this picture where Jesus is going to talk about basically what's going to happen to him. And he's just it pissed Judas off so much that he decided to betray Jesus in this point right here. So Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 9. Let me read this for you guys. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. What's so cool about this is Simon the leper. I mean, we don't know who he is, but apparently everyone who read this know it. That's why they labeled him Simon the leper, right? A woman came to him with an alabaster jar of every of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. And so here it is. Here's Jesus. He's chilling at his table. He's having dinner at Bethany. Bethany is a suburb city outside of Jerusalem. It's middle of nowhere. And he's having dinner at this table. He's reclining at this table. He's chilling. And in comes this woman with this jar, alabaster jar, worth one year's wage, Right? If we calculate the, the basic wage of America, one year is about 48K. But even 48K, she was holding a 48K bottle of perfume, and she walks up to Jesus. And this is the type of perfume that once you break it, you can't pour it back in. Okay? There's no, like, cap it, none of that. It's, you break it, it's done. You use it all in one go. And so she pours it on Jesus, and you can imagine the scent of it just filling the room. Not just filling the room, but filling the streets. And as the disciples were smelling this, they were like, no way. Did she just pour a $48,000 bottle of perfume on this guy's head? Right? And this wasn't just any perfume. This was her dowry. As a woman back then, one of the, I mean, it's sad to say, but as a woman back then, one of the things that they wanted or needed was uh, marriage. That's the way they have their identity, have their worth, has their value. It's in their marriage. And this was supposed to be her dowry to her husband and saying, hey, you know, please take me. You know, here's a gift for you, right? $48,000, you know? And so by her pouring it on Jesus' head, what she was saying is this. Those things that I wanted so much, my future, my husband, my sense of worth and identity, I'm just going to surrender it to you. It's yours. And she pours it on his head. And it fills the room, and it was just amazing. But then the ones who were indignant about it, John actually, later on in the Gospel of John, tells us the person who was actually indignant. Who do you think was indignant about this? Judas. He was the one, like, telling his disciples or telling the brothers, like, hey, yo, Bart, Bartholomew, like, hey, like, 
Isn't that worth like 48K? Like, did she just pour it on Jesus? Isn't that kind of dumb? Shouldn't she just like pour it into little vials, right? And make like, you know, my, maybe 36 of those vials and then give Christ one? That sounds pretty like legit and then sell the other. That's pretty smart, right? Why is she like so extravagant in her action? Why, so, why not have a win-win situation? Why is she being so like foolish about this? We could have easily sold that, taken the money, and given it to the poor, right? But John, who wrote the gospel later, he said, man, Judas was a thief. That fool, all he wanted when he said that was because he, he knew that if he had that money, he'll, be, he'll pocket a little bit of it every little time. As they spend money on whatever, he'll just pocket a little bit because that's what he wanted. Jesus was his tool. It wasn't his end. Right? And so we come at this point. And we're thinking, what's so, bad, what's so bad about this situation? What we see here, one, is a picture of utter surrender. I know a lot of you guys can't understand this process because we don't have the dowry process anymore. We don't have, like, you know, give. this was everything. This is like, it's like, it's like you, like, like someone in your family passed away. They gave you an inheritance, like a million-dollar inheritance. It is for your family to pay off your debts, to make sure your kids can go to school. And you take this inheritance and you said, whatever you want is yours. Putting your future at stake, putting your life, I mean, everyone smart, they'll be like, come on, just give a little bit to Christ, keep a little bit for yourself. It's, you know, win-win situation. But she, for some reason, she said, it's all yours. Utter, complete, total surrender. No agenda, no, no, no means, no tools. She didn't want anything from him. She gave him everything, right? So let's check this out. Look at verse, um, verse 10. It says this, aware of this. So, you know, as they're all like, you know, bickering, like, yeah, you could have sold this for like, you know, 48K. It would be even like 24K. I mean, if you were college, you know, if you're doing college math, right, and like, you know, you have a, a minimum wage, you still, 24K to drop on anybody is still a lot, right? I mean, just like, just, let's do 12K. I would never drop 12K anyone. Not even like, is she here? Right? Not even like, you know, it would be, be a hard sell to drop 12K, you know? Like, even if she's like, honey, I really want this diamond. Whoa, 12K? Like, can we, like, get a smaller one? Like, you know, like 200? You know, like, you know, like it's, you know, it's, 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 it's really hard. And then for, to, to, to have this happen, it, it just... It riled up everybody. And while they're all yelling and screaming and Jesus is just chilling in back, and he heard this, he knows what everyone's heart is at, right? So he speaks up and he says this. He says, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? Is it your perfume? Right? Like, all of a sudden, y'all, like, so, like, caught up about, is it yours? Did you make it? Right? Is it your dowry? It's not yours. Why are you guys all upset about it for? Right? It's hers. Let her do whatever she wants with it. Right? First of all, mind your own business, right? Two, he says what? She has done a beautiful thing to me. He says, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And so what he was saying was that by her doing this, by her pouring this perfume on him, right? It's her way of saying she has shown him how much she thinks of him. She has shown Christ how much she deems him as worthy of honor and glory. She has shown him exactly where her heart is at, that he is not her tool. He is not a means to her end. 
She didn't do this to say, oh, I'm going to give you all this perfume. Please give me a husband, all right? She didn't say, I'm going to give you all this perfume. Please make my life great. She said, this is yours. I leave that future into your hand. I surrender that into your hand. She has done a beautiful thing for me. She has shown, she has shown all 12 of you fools up, right? Her one action shows that she understands exactly who I am versus all you guys been around me with me for like years still don't get it. You still don't get it because in your heart, I am still, I am still part of your agenda. I, I'm still the tool for your personal agenda. And then look what he says here, verse 12. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. So, so first they were all caught up about, like, you know, how wasteful this thing was. And, like, we could have used that money for the poor. But then all of a sudden you can imagine, like, all of them, like, what? Like, your burial? Like, you, you plan to die soon? What's going on here, right? Like, what do you mean your burial? Like, you can't die. Like, Jesus, look, we got to go to, to Jerusalem. You got to do the king thing. And then we become, like, your 12, like, generals. It's, that's, that's the plan. What do you mean, you mean you're going to die? Right? If you die, there's no king, there's no throne, there's no Israel, there's no routing Rome. First of all, yo, we gave everything to follow you, right? If you die, finish the sentence for me, what's going to happen to us? Right? It wasn't about Christ's agenda. He said, she did this to prepare for my burial. And they were like, whoa, 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 whoa you can't die. Because if you die, what's going to happen to me? Right? What's going to happen? I gave you three years of my life. I quit my job, right? I left my wife back at the, the farm. Like, what, what's going to happen with me? Can you, why? So they, all, they went from that to this whole, like, new situation. They're all freaking out about it, okay? And then this is what she says. This is what he says right here, verse 13. This is what, if you had, just focus on this, this is a very awesome, awesome verse, all right? Verse 13, it says this. I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel, this story is preached throughout the world. And so you can imagine, like, what do you mean preached throughout the world? It's like, oh, this story is going gonna, gonna to go throughout the world. It's like, we're in Bethany, Jesus. There's only 15 of us here. Like, what do you mean throughout the world? And Jesus said, don't you get it? This is history. Don't you get it? Her, her action here is going to be the testimony of utter surrender. And it is the, it is the point of history making. It's, it's not going to just quiet down and disappear. This story is going to last forever. And they were like, what? Okay. What she has done will also be told in memory. How many of you guys knew the story before I even mentioned it today? How many of you guys knew the story? Yeah, right? You guys knew the story, or at least a part of it, even before I mentioned it. Why? Because one day, this is it, your life it's going to be an illustration of two things. I mentioned this last week. It is going to be an illustration of utter surrender to your God. Or it's going to be an illustration of what Judas is going to do next. Using God as an agenda to fulfill your personal needs and then ultimately failing. Using God to fulfill your agenda for your personal need and ultimately failing. It's only two stories. And what she did here, Jesus was saying, this is history. You're a part of it. And you know, I always tell, when, I, when we meet up in small groups, I always try to say, like, hey, you guys, one day, 
this is a history-making moment, right? And everybody's like, whatever, you're just saying that to try to inspire us. But it's true, okay? It's true. One day, right, in the annals of TLC history, it's going to go down like, hey, we did something for the Lord that was unbelievable. We did something that we never thought we could possibly do. And he used us to do something that we could never possibly dreamed of because we were willing to surrender. We didn't use God as a tool for our agenda. We surrender everything we had to him. You guys follow me? Right? And so this was the situation. And so Judas, sitting here, and he's like, wait a minute. Wait, did you just tell me you're going to die? Like, I followed you for three years, homie. Like, you need to be king or I wasted my life. Right? Wait, wait, wait. Did, did, you, did you just say, like, the money from that perfume was supposed to, it was a great thing, a beautiful thing she did to you? Do you not care about your campaign? Do you not care about how we're going to actually overcome Rome? Like, what, why are you so passive, Jesus? Like, get your, get your act together. We have something to do here. We have some, you know, we have history to be made here. Why are you so passive and why do you keep talking about dying? If you're going to keep doing this, I'm done. If you don't care, I don't care. And how do we know this? Because right at verse 14, right here, then, <laughs> Jesus was like, that's it, dude. I'm going to get up. Hey, Jesus, I got to go somewhere. I'll be right back, okay? Chill out for a little bit. And he walks, right? He walks about 60 miles back to Jerusalem. One of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked them, what are you willing to give me if I hand them over to you? Here it is. Jesus wasn't going to fulfill his personal agenda of power. So you know what he's going to do anyways? He's going to leverage Jesus to get something out of it. He is going to use Jesus to get some sort of gain. He says, you know what? How much are you going to pay me if I gave him to you? Because what I want, he's not giving. So if he's not going to give me that, I'm going to get something else out of him. I'm going to use him for something else. How much are you going to give me? And so they counted out for him 30 silver coins. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand them over. Here's the problem with the chief priests. They could never touch Jesus because everywhere Jesus went, what went with them? Crowd of people. They could never touch him because the moment they're afraid that they grab him and they seize him and they threw him into a jail, the crowd would go crazy. Like, how could you? This guy is amazing. He just healed my brother. Like, and they would just jump him and, and, and kill the chief priest. So they couldn't, they couldn't touch Jesus as long as he was in the crowd. But Judas would say, I can get him alone. I know when he's alone. So when he's alone and I come and I tell you when he's alone, what's that worth to you? There were like 30 silver coins. Have you ever seen 30 coins? I, I, mean, I don't have 30 silver coins, so I, I, I grabbed 30, 30, 30 quarters today. <laughs> and I was looking at it, I was, and I was looking at it. It was literally just these two stacks. It was like literally two my hands. I can, I can hold it in two hands, right? I was holding these two stacks, and I was like, Judas sold out the king of kings for this. Like Judas broke every relationship he could have had with Jesus Christ for these two stacks. Like, holy cow. This, how, how big was this to him at that moment that he thought that this was worth it? How, how important was this for him at that moment that he thought that by selling out Christ that this was enough? 30 coins back then, 30 silver coins, was the price of a slave. Right? He, he, 
He didn't even ask for 50. He, he saw Christ as the worth of a slave. 30 coins. Right? The, at least the lady brought him a $48,000 bottle, right? He, he sold Jesus out for 30 coins. He broke relationship over, th- but isn't that just like us? That there are some things in our life, at the moment, it seems so important. Some agenda in our life at that moment, it seems like we're willing to give everything for it, deny everyone for it, use Christ in every possible way to attain it. And we're, we're, whether it be a love, love relationship, like, God, if I can just, if you would just give me this person, I'll do anything you want. So important. So important. God, if I would have this job, this job that I'm being for, Lord, I'll put your name, I mean, I'll put down a churchgoer. You know, they love that stuff. You know, like, I can get the job, right? That you would, that you would, that you would destroy relationship, families, that you would break community just so that you can have 30 coins. That you would sell out the Savior of the world for 30 coins. How often do we do that? There's something that always seems so important to us, isn't it, that we would do that for, right? Look how foolish this is. Look what he says. Judas thought that he was looking for an opportunity to hand him over. Judas thought that I am going to use Jesus to get this, to get the 30 coins, and I will be the one that's going to hand Jesus over to the chief priest. He thought that he was in control. He thought that he was the one that's going to direct the story. Do you know why he did it? Do you know why he did it? There's two possible reasons, okay? And this is me reading between the lines, but there's two possible reasons that he initiated this. One, he thought, you know what, Jesus, right now, he, he's not hyped up enough, right? Things aren't going bad enough for him. So if I, if I kind of create a catalyst, maybe Jesus will kind of step it up and say, okay, oh, I get it. I'm arrested now. I should, like, you know, bust out king mode or something, right? Bust out king, you know, of, of all Israel mode and, you know, do the whole miracle things and bam, right? So he thought to himself, win-win situation. If I get Jesus arrested and he bust out, you know, savior mode or, you know, king mode, then guess what? He rises as king finally, right? He does what I thought he was going to do finally. And then I, as Jesus' disciples, get to inherit the glory with that. But let's just say he just gets arrested and he's a dud and he just ends up being arrested and dies in prison. At least I get 30 coins, right? Win-win situation. He thought that he could control the storyline. He thought that he could thwart the plans of God. He thought that in his manipulation of the agenda, that somehow it will work in his favor. You guys follow me? Right? He thought in the way that he can leverage Jesus, it will work out in his favor because he thought he was in control. How many of us do that? Will we, will we do what we do because we think that well, somehow we can shape and mold, that I'm, in, I'm the master of my destiny, I can shape it however I want, and we watch all these TV stuff telling us that that's possible, but reality-wise, as we'll see, and as God will show you, you cannot thwart God's plan and you cannot force God's hand. You cannot thwart God's plan, and you cannot force God's hand. Your agenda is cute at best, 
but it has no power on what God will do. And so what happens to, what happens to, Jesus, uh, to Judas? Okay, so he finds the point where they, they were walking out into Jerusalem. They finally got to Jerusalem, okay? Jesus was going to have the last supper with uh, his disciples to have the Passover, right? And then they said, you know what, after Passover, let's hang out at Gethsemane, right? Let's do a little prayer. And Jesus, Judas was like, yeah, he's alone. I'll get him then, right? So he walks out. Right? But the funny thing was Jesus already knew what was going on. And, and Judas was like, oh, shoot, he knows. Because Jesus was like, you know, tonight someone, one of you guys is going to betray me, right? And Jesus was like, he knows. He knows. How does he know, right? But it's okay because the plan is still working. If he gets arrested, he might bust out king mode and we're great. If he gets arrested and he's a dud, that's fine. I still got my 30 coins. All the other disciples, they get nothing and they lost everything, right? I still win. And so he goes and he finds the chief priest, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, arrests Jesus. So he thought to himself, that's it. That's the worst that can happen is to just throw him in jail. But then what happened? Judas had a rude awakening. You know why? Because Joseph Caiaphas and the chief and all the priests, they took him towards Pilate. They walked him towards Pilate. And there's only one reason why you walk a prisoner towards a Roman governor. You want to get that prisoner killed. All right, check this out. Chapter 27, verses 1 and 2. So early in the morning after they arrested Jesus, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. But, but Judas was thinking, you can't kill him. No, no, no law allows for you to kill a prisoner. No one can. The only person who can execute is Rome, right? And so what did they do? They bound him, they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate the governor. So now Judas was thinking, oh shoot, I just want to throw him in jail. I mean, the worst case scenario is to throw him in jail. I don't want him to die. I, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be the person that helped kill the man. I'm like, I did live with him for three years, I and mean, we still have some sort of relationship. Like, I don't want him to die. But as Jesus was walking towards the governor, Judas realized something. They're gonna kill him. And it's my fault. Because it was my agenda. It was my plan. I thought I was in control. Right? And so what happens here? This gets crazier. Okay? So, Ju so Judas, he, verse 3, he says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. Judas was like, look, God, I don't want it anymore. I, I don't want the 30 coins. The very 30 coins, right? The very 30 coins that was extraordinary value for him, literally a week ago. A week ago, those coins was of utmost value and importance to him. Now, they are worthless. I don't want to kill a man for 30 coins. Those 30 coins which traded his relationship with Jesus now seems what? seems so worthless and useless. Like how, like I don't, I, those coins were so important at that moment. And then when the agenda is played out and the storyline is, he realized what, how worthless that agenda was. He realized how much he resisted and fought and bargained and leveraged God and used God to get something that he thought he wanted and finding out the, at the end that the very thing that he thought he wanted was useless. 
It had no worth. It had no value to him. He sacrificed his relationship with Christ for it. And then look at what, look at what the chief priest said to him. Verse 4. Or, or, what, is this that, what is that to us that you have sinned and you feel remorse and that you betrayed innocent blood? What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. And so Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and he hanged himself. Here's what sometimes, guys, breaks my heart as a pastor, right? Is that I, I listen and I hear and I understand that you all have your personal agenda. We live in a world that you, you, you need some sort of agenda to kind of move forward. And you think that if I can just get this, I would be happy. If I can just get this, everything would be great. If I can just have it, then everything would be perfect. And, and, and what you don't see and what, and the reason is I'm not, I'm not, honestly, I'm not that mature enough where I like, I'm like that head of you. I'm not past the lens age when I have the wisdom of that. But all I have, honestly, right, all I have is what I see from the word of God when I understand from just experiences of people's lives who live in their constant agenda over and over. I see them destroying families, relationships. I see them fighting people going into conflict over something. This is the worst part, over something that in a few years they forget and care little about. They, they destroy part of their relationship, part of their friendship, part of their life, part of their who they are over something that within two to three years they no longer even care or think about or even have. That that one thing that was so important to them after their agenda is played out, after they've used God in whatever capacity, after they have bargained and played with them, they realize that this was not as great and awesome as I thought in the beginning. Isn't it? You see this all the time. Like, once you have it, you realize it wasn't as great as I thought. I, as, as I thought right? And I see this. It's not even just with you guys. I see it in my, in my son all the time, right? He watches these freaking things, and he's like, Daddy, I need that Paw Patrol toy. Like, my life is incomplete without it, right? Sometimes, you know, like, and I see him go to Target. He's like, Dad, I just want to walk by it. I just want to touch it. And you feel kind of bad as a father. You're like, like I think I, I can afford that. I definitely can afford that toy for him, right? I don't want to, but I think I can definitely afford it. He's like, I just, I just want to touch it, Dad. He's like, dude, we're not buying it. No, I don't want to buy it. I just want to touch it, right? And he does this. I was like, all right, I'll buy you one, right? So I buy, you know, so you know, we make some sort of deal, and then he, he passes it, and I, I buy him the gift, takes it home. That was so important to him that he literally, like, obsessed about it forever, takes it home, and then three days later, I was like, where's your toy? That's over there, Daddy. Yeah, it's over there. I was like, don't you want to play with it anymore? I was like, no, no, it's okay. I'll play with it later. Later, we'll play with it. And then it's just sitting in the corner. I just spent 25 bucks for no reason, bro. Like, why? You know? And can you imagine the same thing? But in a, in a higher level, more like emotionally attached and painful connection with, with, with us, where we, where we would do anything to have something, right? Like, I want it so badly, God. I, please, let me have it. And I, I, I would use anyone around me. I will break every relationship possible. I will do whatever is necessary just to have it. And then you have it. You bring it home. It's yours. And then you realize Oh, it's not, as, it's not as glamorous as I thought it was. The job that I literally, you know, left the church for 
ends up being like a dud. I hate this job. I hate my boss. I hate it. I, why did it look so cool in the beginning? Now it looks horrible. When we bargain with God rather than surrender, we are responsible for the outcome. Right? We are, we, God gives us the freedom if you want it. If you want to fight me, to have your agenda, I'll let you. I'll let you. I won't fight you for it. I'll let you have your agenda. But you are not free from inheriting the outcome of it. You are not free from the responsibility of the outcome of that agenda. But here's the thing. But when we surrender to God, he is responsible for the outcome. You guys get me? If we we surrender to God, then he is responsible for the outcome. Judah said, if you don't give me the security of a future of power, then I'm just going to sell you out. He traded the life of Jesus for 30 silver coins, and he had to live with the guilt and shame of it, and eventually killed him because it was too much. Jesus surrendered his life to God, and God erased the shame of the world, and God took away the guilt of all. When we surrender into the hands of our Father, then he is the one who is responsible for the outcome. You guys get that? But when you refuse to surrender and you live your life bargaining as an agenda before God, you are responsible for the outcome. And the outcome, listen, the outcome is never as great as you think it is. One, the outcome right, cannot be manipulated by you. You cannot change it. You cannot thwart it. And you cannot force God's hand. Ultimately, what you desire to use God for to get, you lose anyway. It ends up not being as glamorous or as beautiful to you as you thought. And you destroyed so much in the process of it. So my prayer is this, guys. As Easter comes this week, as we begin, hopefully in Passion Week, to reflect upon who Jesus Christ is, right? I get it. Life is hard. We want to be able to control at least one modicum of, of, of sanity that we have. We want to be able to control our lives at least. If we can't control the universe around us, at least we can control our family. At least we can control our work. At least we can control our money. At least we control our love life. We want to be able to have some sort of control over that. And you know what? We're willing to use God in whatever capacity to keep that control. But God in the life of Judas is telling us one very, 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 very important thing. You never have control You can never manipulate the situation. You cannot force my hand, and you cannot thwart my plans. In the end of it all, no matter what you try to do, it's only in surrender where you find real freedom. It's only when you say, here's my family, God. I don't want my agenda, what it looks like to have a perfect nuclear family. I don't want that agenda. You tell me what you want with my family. You want my family to be a mission family? I'll do it. You want my family to be a family that blesses the church? Right? To find, I will do it. You want my family to be a family that opens doors? We'll do it. Here's, here's my work, God. I don't want to use you to manipulate my work. Here's my job. I surrender it to you. What do you want me to do with it? What do you want? You want me to use my work as a blessing for those at my workplace? You want, to use, you want me to use my work as a blessing for those who are younger than me, showing them how to be a Christian in the work field? 
You want me to use my work as a way of blessing the community and the work of, that you're doing in your kingdom? I'll do it. Here's my relationship, God. I don't want to use you to kind of manipulate this and make this look holy when it's not. Here's my relationship. What do you want us to do? If you want us to use our relationship as a way of being an example of what godly, holy uh, relationships ought to look like, dating ought to look like, then, Lord, we surrender it. I give it to you. Here's, here it is. Here's my life, God. If you want to use my life as a way of example of what it means to be a godly man or a godly woman, then, Lord, use it. Not my agenda, but yours. And Jesus Christ on the, at the Garden of Gethsemane says, not my will be done, but your will be done. Surrender. Let this be a season of surrender, guys. Let it be a season when your life is actually transformed and not living for your personal agenda or not resisting the one who calls you his son, his daughter, and his precious. Let's bow our heads.